So it's it's spooky season. Favorite time of year. It's October, which means our opening question is... I'm ready. What is your best and or worst Halloween costume Oh ever? my god. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'm putting down the beer. <laughs> so, first off, we need to set the premise that in my household where I grew up, it was not practiced to dress up for Halloween unless you're going to a hallelujah party. What the heck is a hallelujah party? <laughs> it's like Halloween, but hallelujah. Nope. It's a play on words. We did not Basically, have Basically, VBS Halloween, if you will. Okay. And let's start. So I guess my best costume, it kind of has to do with Halloween. It actually doesn't have to do with the hallelujah parties. That's going to be part of my worst costume. Okay. But <laughs> my best costume is... I went to this harvest festival at my local, it's kind of like an agriculture store, like part okay. plant, part agriculture, pet thing. Like it's called Agway. Supply. Yeah, it's very similar. It's called okay. Agway. It's kind of Not a northern sure thing. sure this wasn't an Amway party. <laughs> no, it's an Agway <laughs> party. But <laughs> That's really bad. But I, <laughs> a part of the festival was they had a costume contest with where you could dress up with like your pet. Aww. So I was determined to win. So I had my rabbit. His name was Snippy Doodle Bunny Butts. <laughs> Snippy for short. And he was a he had black and white fur. He had one ear sticking up and one ear sticking down, which we used to call a half a lop because a rabbit with two ears down is called a lop uh-huh so we called him a half a lop and when you'd push the one ear that was up the other one would go up instead Aww. it was the cutest little thing anyway i dressed up as him where i got a white long sweatshirt white sweatpants and i think i got him at michael's or ac Moore. and then i spray painted the exact design Aww. and then i face painted my face like him and then i got bunny ears but i glued one of them down Aww. And let me tell you, homegirl at age eight went home with a grill, <laughs> a brand new propane grill. Your parents must be thrilled. My mom was like, how the hell am I going to transport this? <laughs> Don't let that stop you. No, we only lived a couple blocks. So, you know, you could have drug it. Yeah, it'd be fine. fine. Worst costume. Worst costume. Right around the same time of growth, near the end of elementary school, we went on a school field trip to Ellis Island and Statue of Liberty. And I remember getting these Statue of Liberty glasses. They were really cute, like little sunglasses and they were green and it had the little crown or tiara, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I really hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode because she was really proud of this. I kind of look back and go, yikes. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. So my mom had the idea, and of course I went along with it, of dressing up as an American flag. Yeah, <laughs> because not the I Statue had of Liberty. the Statue of Liberty glasses. So we got a sheet, cut out a little <laughs> hole, and then spray painted it red and blue, and then we did the little like puffy paint uh-huh. for the stars. And I walked in to my Hallelujah party. <laughs> That's amazing. As as America. That's amazing. 
My best costume was not even a Halloween costume. It was one of my running costumes. If you don't know, I'm really extra when I run, especially when I run at a, a Disney race. And the one I'm most proud of was when I was Sharkhead Maui from Moana. <laughs> I took an old hoodie of Zach. Forgot about this. And made it into a shark. I like sewed teeth into the end of the edge of the hood and made like his little hook out of cardboard. It was I went all the way out. Of course, it was like 30 degrees that morning, so I had to wear leggings with it and kind of ruin it a little bit. But that is the costume I'm most proud of. The worst costume. Oh my. These are all sad because they're all from when I was like 18 or older. (laughs) You didn't have to include that part. We'll just throw in a medium level one. I was, I definitely just wore Hogwarts robes for literally four or five years straight to like the church. I was that Baptist church kid who was wearing the Hogwarts robes (laughs) and got a lot of looks. I mean, (laughs) some people are still wearing their Hogwarts outfit from elementary school. I wish I had kept mine. I'm very mad I got rid of it. Oh no. My worst was so there was an episode, I think it was a Halloween episode of Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, where the mom goes as static cling. Oh. <laughs> so I copied that one year. Oh my god. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to find photos of these and post them. I realize that now we just set I have, ourselves up for that. I have a photo of the rabbit. Okay, we're not gonna post the, these. Not of the American flag, but of the rabbit. We're gonna post these. Okay. Static cling. Not a good I took I think it's the same hoodie that eventually became the shark, actually. Recycle. Upcycle. Uh, and I just found... I grabbed one of every sock I owned, because I don't own normal socks. I have to own, like, crazy pattern socks. Uh-huh. And I just safety pinned them from the inside all over myself. <laughs> I even made a hair bow out of a dryer sheet. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. This is why I, I love Halloween. Anyway, I'm Leah. Hold on. I was ready. <laughs> and I'm Beth Ann. And that's going to stay in. This is She Will Rock You. So before you talk for the next however long you're going to talk. The Lord only knows. I got two things. I can't, I keep opening App Store instead of iTunes. We got a new review. Yay! This is our last review for, unless someone else writes in. So uh, if you want to keep hearing us read these, please leave us a review. Cue sad violin music. Hmm. Insert some kind of sad YouTube audio library music right here. Oh yeah, read it dramatically. Wait, wait, okay. wait. I want you to read it as dramatic as possible, and I'm going to cut it with music. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Action. Every time I listen to She Will Rock You, I think, man, I want to be friends with those girls. And the best part about it is, I am! She Will Rock You is exactly the podcast I need into my life right now informative, funny, and something I look forward to every other Friday. <laughs> I can't wait for post. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself that I made that through in one take. And that's from our friend Morgan, we who love tells you. us all the time that she loves our podcast. The other thing that I want to just, just throw out into the, the internet is I saw the struts again. <laughs> this 
<laughs> we just need to talk about this isn't that. a journal okay <laughs> for a hot day 21 <laughs> well i saw the struts again it's only show two <laughs> it's relevant it was the best it was this is i mean it is a biased opinion because i do love them but it was honestly the best show yeah. i have ever seen also, Luke pointed to me at one point and said, hey, because he recognized me from the meet and greet line. Aww. And he dropped his mic, which was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but they continue to impress me, and I get to see them again in December, so I'm totally going to talk about it when I see them again. On that note, you can have the laptop. All right. And let me know what we're talking about today, right. like I don't already know. No. Settle in, children, because it is spooky season. Oh. oh, yes. Which means Spooky She Will Rock You. For the next two episodes. Dropping in October. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer. <laughs> if this isn't the trends, eventually I'm going to stop saying these disclaimers, but mm-hmm. we're going to keep going just in case. They don't need all need them. My next one does not need a disclaimer. This so one absolutely does. I believe it. Because this is not for children. <laughs> This episode, in particular, more than any episode we've done. More than Prince? Pretty close. Okay. That means On par. Actually, know what? No. It surpasses it. Mm. I cannot wait. Like, just don't, don't let your kids listen to this. Also, if you are not a fan of anything related to paranormal supernatural black magic black magic things like that one why are you listening to a rock <laughs> rock and roll podcast we're talking about the devil's music all right folks <laughs> but like it's fine it's fine I'm proud of you for getting this far but if you want to check out go ahead and check out but for the rest of you brave souls could we talk about let's dive into led zeppelin uh- ah! We <laughs> Okay, we knew we were going to do that but not like that. I'm very proud of us. <laughs> I can't breathe. Breathe. Drink your beer. <laughs> it's going to be all right. That's that's it. That we're done with the podcast. All right. Now. I'm so cut cue music. <laughs> no, just kidding. We got We got a lot to cover, folks. And I didn't even include everything I wanted to. So if there may be some key details I may gloss over, and I really do apologize. There is just a lot, go a down, lot, a lot we got to cover. Go down that rabbit hole yourself later. Yeah, and we may honestly pick this back up. Maybe talking a little bit more about Led Zeppelin, I can easily see us doing that yep. because of the huge influence they had. Yeah. So it's very possible we're going to cover this more. But this is a great, I think, Good way for us to get introduced. Led Zeppelin 101. Correct. All right. Let's buckle up. Let's cut. Yeah. Buckle up, folks. Let's cut it to the beginnings here. It is 1966 and legendary guitarist Jimmy Page is in a band called the Yardbirds. Okay. Apparently they were very prominent during the 60s. Yeah. They influenced a lot of artists. That we, we know and love. I know uh, Steven Tyler was really into the Yardbirds. Yeah. I've actually, I've heard of them briefly, but not like, I didn't really know the huge mm-hmm. impact they had. Also, they had some 
freaking heavy hitters that came from that band. I'm going to get to that in a second. But the Yardbirds, they are a blues band synonymous for launching the careers. Ready? Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, and Eric Clapton. Now, those three gentlemen are in the top five best guitarists in the world by Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty insane that one band gave way to those three. We'll Um, have to cover them later. Yes. That's probably a wild ride. Oh, yeah, that would be a fun episode. But the band is growing tired of touring and playing. Paige instead wants to form a super group, which I just kind of learned what that was. It's a group of already accomplished musicians who have solo careers coming together okay. to form a band. It's like the opposite of your normal boy band. Fest. It's like <laughs> whenever... I can't think of something. Yeah, I can't think of a good example either. Well, the lead singer of Soundgarden, whose name is escaping me, and he took the band of... Rage Against the Machine, put it together, oh. made Audio Slave. Oh, okay. Something like that. But Paige wants to form a supergroup. Now, who does he want in that supergroup? Jeff Beck, John Entwistle. Hey! Our friend from The Who, the bassist. And then also he's tagging along Keith Moon. No. The drummer, which <laughs> I think is fascinating. Pete wasn't invi- you invited. Because <laughs> John and Pete. If you listen to our Who episode, we're very close. Yeah. And he picks Keith Moon. That's just hilarious to me. And then possibly for vocals, he wanted either Steve Winwood or Steve Marriott. And Steve Winwood was from a band called Traffic. Steve Marriott was from two bands called Small Faces and Humble Pie. He just gets around. That's a lot of bands. Yeah. Well, think about it. It's nineteen. It's late 1960s, so all these guys are just hanging out with each other in London. That was a place to be. Yeah. But the super group doesn't pan out. Darn. And Jimmy Page has a contract to fulfill, so he continues chugging along with the Yardbirds. Around the end of their contract, the Yardbirds still have performances to fulfill, so they send out Jimmy Page and bassist Chris Deja to find a new drummer and singer. Now, this next part's kind of hard to decipher. It wasn't really clear, but I believe the band was the two members, the vocalist and the other drummer, was just so done that they were like, hey, you go find two new members. (laughs) Replace yourselves. Yeah. (laughs) They first offer vocals up to Terry Reed, but he turns them down. And after the documentary I was watching, he is forever known as the bloke who turned down Led Zeppelin. That's a bad Can't move. live that down. No. Nope. But he instead suggests Robert Plant, singer at the time of Band of Joy and Hobbs Tweedle. That is, a, that is the worst <laughs> of all the band names we have heard Hobbs on this Tweedle. show. It's very... Uh, that rolls off the tongue so easily. Very Alice in Wonderland-esque, it if is. you will. Lewis Carroll. Plant accepts and then suggests drummer John Bunham. Then Chris Deja drops out. Terrible idea. Bye. And then the bassist gig goes to John Paul Jones, which John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page worked together for a little bit when they were both session artists. But who are these gentlemen? I'm going to guess it's a wild ride. (laughs) Well, let's start with the founder of the band and kind of the one pulls all the strings, Jimmy Page. Okay. So he's born in London in the suburb of Heston. 
Page found his first guitar, a Spanish guitar, at something called the Miles House, which I think was at his school. And apparently no one knows where that guitar came from. It was just there. And he takes it and he starts playing at age 12. He did take some formal lessons, but pretty much everything is self-taught. Think about this. Number three on the greatest guitarist of all time, Rolling Stones, and he's self-taught. Mm-hmm. And then when he's young, he practiced six to seven hours a day. Okay. That would, Hence why he got That would make good. you the best guitarist. But he would often get his guitar confiscated from school and give it back at the end of class because <laughs> he kept trying to play it. I just, I'm just picturing this classroom and this little kid just plops down with a guitar and they're like, no, you can't have it. And he's like, watch me. Watch me. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you still can't have that in here. But he gets his first electric guitar in 1959, which is a Futurama Grazio, Grazioso. Futurama Grazioso. Later replaced by the Fender Telecaster. Hey. I probably should have just said Fender Telecaster. Yep. Anyway. He wanted that specific guitar because it reminded him of Buddy Holly's guitar. Hey, on TV. Foreshadowing. <laughs> um, at age 15, he leaves secondary school to pursue music and gets asked by a guy, not making this up, named Neil Christian to join his band called The Crusaders. No. That's, <laughs> that's not well marketed. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's what that is. He tours with them for two years, and then he has to drop out because he all of a sudden suffers from a serious illness. It was like kind of like granular fever. Okay. I don't know. Anyway. And I probably said it wrong. Who knows? (laughs) But while he's recovering, he tries to take up painting, which is his other love, at Sutton Art College. However, while a student... He performed at the Marquee Club and was asked by Mike Leander, yeah, Mike Leander, to record some guitar tracks for artists on Decca Records. Hey. He quickly became a session guitarist from there and started playing with other rock bands like The Who, The Kinks, and The Rolling Stones. Good for him. Told you. They all kind of hang out together. So that's the little snapshot of Jimmy Page. Okay. Let's move on to Robert Plant. Can't wait. His father was a civil engineer during World War II, and his mother was a romantical, which is, I believe, a Roma gypsy. That makes sense. It's something in the gypsy world. Oh, it makes total sense. (laughs) I was going to say, civil engineer sounds really normal. And then, oh, there it is. (laughs) Um, At age 10, he wanted to sing like Elvis. Didn't every 10-year-old? Yeah. He left school in his mid-teens, and at age 16, he left home to pursue blues music. He then went to work at Woolworths, but then he did a stint with a blues band called the Crawling King Snakes, where he met drummer John Bunham, and then both went to join the band called Band of Joy, which was a mix of blues and psychedelic rock. Okay. That's really all I have on Robert Plant. For now. For now, yes. Let's move on. To John Paul Jones. Started playing piano at age six, which I think actually 
piano and keyboard is actually his primary instrument. Okay. But he's so freaking good on bass. So it's kind of crazy. Like, bass was more of his secondary instrument. Multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. His father was a piano player and a ranger during the big band movement. He played and toured with his mom and dad when he was younger in a comedy vaudeville act. But then his parents just eventually said, you know what? Off to boarding school with you. How <laughs> <laughs> British of them. I like every British parent. Um, he went to... This is actually kind of hilarious when you just look at the trajectory of Led Zeppelin. But he went to Christ College in London where he studied music. And then at a young age, I think he was like 16 or 17, he became a choir master and organist for a church. Okay. But then John Paul Jones buys his first bass guitar. It's all over. Yeah. From there, he soon becomes a sessions bassist, like shortly after. Piano player and arranger for different bands. Um, he also recorded for Decca record artists. That's also how he met Jimmy Page and recorded pieces for the Rolling Stones like, ready? Their Satanic Majesty's Request. That's my favorite <laughs> From church one. to <laughs> Satanic Ma- Majesty's Request. Last but not least, John Bunham. So John began learning how to play drums at age five by making kits out of containers and coffee tins. Oh, he took it all the way. Oh, so cute. He received his first kit at age 15, but never took a formal lesson. Now, side note, he is ranked number one in Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Drummers of All Time. Dang. So we got a number three and a number one. Okay. It's crazy. He left school in 1964, worked as an apprentice carpenter, but would eventually start drumming for local bands, which led him to playing for different semi-professional bands, and then eventually led to drumming full-time, like joining blues groups called Crawling King Snakes with Robert Plant. Hey, there it is. There it is. There's also, the connection. Also a horrible bad, horrible band name. It reminds me of something from Riverdale. Yeah. Like, it's a rival gang. It's like... Yeah. Well, they already have the serpents. So this is like the cousins right across the river. Is this from the neighboring town? <laughs> or their twin city in like Kansas or something? Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> so the Yardbirds, the, the revised Yardbirds, so to speak. Yardbirds V2. Are assembled. And it's out with the old, in with the new. So of course, they have to rename themselves. Yardbirds final final. <laughs> Close. <laughs> the new Yardbirds. <laughs> I thought we were going to take it to Led Zeppelin, but okay. No, 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 no. We're not nearly near that revelation. (laughs) So they got to go fulfill their contract, right? And it's all in Scandinavian countries. So Okay, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So they start performing together for the first time in Denmark. And from what I was reading, they just had this instant connection when they started playing. Makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Then after the tour... They say, hey, let's do an album. So they record an album based off their live set, and it is recorded and mixed in nine days. What? Yes. How? You heard that right. Recorded and mixed in nine days. How much cocaine was involved in this? We don't ask questions like that. We just look at the end product. That's what matters. There is no way, but okay. However, knock, knock. Puberty? (laughs) No. Knock, knock. Who's there? 
a cease and desist letter Aww. from the lead singer of the previous Yardbirds. That's why you can't use the name the new Yardbirds. Yes. Because according to this contract, they can only use it for those Scandinavian tour dates. Music contracts are so weird. <laughs> well, anyway, so the Yardbirds ain't cutting it anymore. The new Yardbirds. The new Yardbirds, correct. So they need to drum up a new name. But I'm <laughs> The band took inspiration. Ready? Yes. So, wait, I'm actually going to rephrase this. We're going off script. Okay. Guess who names the band? Allegedly. Not one of the band members. Correct. It's another it person. <laughs> no, it's another. Close. It's another person that we did a podcast episode about. Maybe would have been in a super group together. Is it Keith Moon? It's Keith Moon. <laughs> yes. And Keith Don't Moon. Don't trust that man with anything. No. No, no, no. This man has made a great contribution to rock history. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't trust him with explosives. Yeah, okay. Correct. <laughs> but in that same vein, apparently when they were talking about their supergroup and how it wasn't going to last very long, oh. Keith drops the phrase, it's going to go down like a lead balloon. Uh, yes. And then, of course, you take out the A in lead, you replace balloon, a Zeppelin. Zeppelin, and all of a sudden... The most feared hard rock heavy metal name is birthed. That's amazing. Out of a no, balloon. I had no clue that's where that name came yep, from. That's where it came from. That is amazing. But there you go. And shortly after, their manager, Peter Grant, secures them a $143,000 contract, which is about a million or so that's small. today. Yeah. But he secures it with Atlantic Records. And they are signed without the record label ever seeing them perform live. Whoops. <laughs> I feel like that is either a very good thing or a very bad Well, they thing. probably were able to do it because they know Jimmy Page. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy Page from Yardbirds. Da, 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 da. That, th- those really nice guys. Surprise, That's bitch. Fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surprise, bitch. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. Someone got fired over that <laughs> Anyway. So Led Zeppelin's debut album, it comes out January 12th, 1969, is recorded in less than 36 hours. Like I said, recorded and mixed within nine days, recorded in less than 36 hours. It took less than $2,000 or 2,000 euros to record. Wow. Even in today's standards. Yeah. That's crazy. And it was produced entirely by Jimmy Page himself. Again, cocaine was definitely involved <laughs> in this experiment. It contained a mixture of rock and blues. It was like, I actually listened to this album today for the first time, and it's great because it's like an aggressive blues. Okay. And I don't think that was really done before until Led Zeppelin came around. Like today, I could say, oh yeah, it's like blues, but a little bit aggressive. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You, you can picture that. Yeah. You can kind of picture that and pinpoint which bands kind of match that persona. But they're kind of the first ones to do that. So the whole album is kind of a mixture of their first rehearsal, different remakes and re- rearrangements of contemporary blues and folk songs. And once again, that fusion between blues, hard rock, and folk. So it reaches number 10 on the Billboard charts, which is pretty good for starting off. Yeah, for your debut album that you made in nine days. Yeah. 
And though it was a commercial success, it was like the critics hated this thing. Interesting. Usually it's the opposite. Yeah. And Rolling Stones, and I'm going to read this kind of off as a quote, Rolling Stones vilified it, calling Page's production limited and plants singing as, ready for this, foppish. What? Is that not the most British word? That is the most British word. Foppish. But now this album lists number 29 of the 500 best albums of all time. Their first single from it is Good Times, Bad Times. There's also, I think it's Baby, I'm Gonna Leave You or You're Gonna Leave Me, one of the two. I don't know this album as well, but it's a great album. Oh, and Dazed and Confused is off of it. And that's an insane, okay, 1969, and you go back and you listen to this song, and it's like 20 years in the future. It's no wonder everyone was freaking the hell out. Yeah, this is a song that was being written in the 80s, yeah. Yeah. But not like then. Yeah. It's crazy. Then we're going to move on. We're actually going to go album by album here. Okay. We're going to do a little bit of a different format. So it's October 22nd, 1969, same year that their first album came out. And they start working right away on their second album. Still doing cocaine. Still doing cocaine. (laughs) Um, But they recorded this album at various North American and UK studios while they were touring. In fact, it was 13 studios in total. Memphis, Tennessee, New York City, London, Vancouver, and Los Angeles. One of them was the Rolling Stones mobile studio. Yeah. They actually recorded a lot in there. We're going to get to that. But it was more successful than the first one. It's a great album. But also, being in 13 studios, how the hell did they mix that? Different equipment, different setups. Like, I don't understand. No idea, because there's no way to, like, just digitally normalize it all. Correct. But it's known as the band's heaviest album. In fact, Steve Waxman has suggested... That Led Zeppelin 2 is, quote, the musical starting point for heavy metal. I can see that. It definitely is. Yep. Because it has a whole lot of love on it. Yeah. That was heavy as heck Mm -hmm. then. The album was certified 12 times platinum, which sells like 12 million copies, I I believe. We talked about it at one point. It's often cited as one of the most influential albums of all Mm -hmm. time. And after this album, they start playing in larger auditoriums. And then at the beginning of this like series where they start playing in larger auditoriums, they start playing four hour sets. What? Because they're just improvising. You gotta realize these guys are blues players. Yeah. When you actually get down to brass tacks, Jimmy Page is a blues guitarist. Robert Plant is a blues singer. John Paul Jones switches between blues keyboard and blues basing. Yeah. And then basing's not worth bass playing and then john bunham just goes he just he just goes and flies uh-huh like the dude just plays insanely four and goes hours. fast four hours of just improv Jeez. it's crazy that is crazy and then we get after the success of that album and after they tour for their third album which is known as led zeppelin three i love that they just didn't even bother naming their albums. yeah they just let it be one, two, three. Four. Exactly. Physical graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but Paige and Plant retired to Braun Your R. No clue if I'm saying that right. It's somewhere in Wales. Uh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. It's somewhere in Wales. To commence work on the third album. 
The album was more influenced by folk and Celtic music. Makes sense. Yeah. Because um, Robert Plant Wales. has always had interest in Nordic mythology, Celtic, that kind of world. And, and then Paige's page. We'll get into thing. his beliefs in a little bit. But so they write this album and it has more of an acoustic feel to it. Not all the songs. I mean, Immigrant Song is on there, which is the inspiration of our intro We're to this. We're not going to do that again, but... Yeah. But it has a couple more acoustic uh, songs added to it. It's also recorded, and this is the first album they did, at Healy Grange, which is... It used to be an old poorhouse turned into a, kind of a recording space for prominent artists. They recorded three, four, and five there, I believe. It's also supposedly haunted. Of course it is. Yeah. That's a little taste of what's to come. Insert some ghost noises. Yeah. But also, Fleetwood Mac has recorded there. Peter Frampton, Genesis. So a lot of people have gone there. But they also used, while they were there, because it's an old house. So you need a recording gear. Beep, beep. Rolling Stones. Here they are. Mobile recording studio at your service. Yes. And they actually used it a lot to record. Cool. At Healy Grange. That's so cool. I still it don't is really cool. understand how that worked, but we're going to just roll, roll with it. Roll with it. Uh, but that album, once it gets released, it actually has mixed reviews, and I can kind of understand why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad the band tried something new, but you also have to keep in mind, Led Zeppelin 1, heavy but blues, aggressive blues. Led Zeppelin 2, very heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Like the prototype of it. And then you just get these nice acoustic songs with immigrant song. (laughs) What happened? They're confused. I kind of get it, but I also like the change. Anyway, tweet your song. But they were going for more of this like different psychedelic acoustic direction. It is what it is. But here's a fun fact. Let's go back to immigrant song. Can you name... The only two movies in history that got the licensing rights to Immigrant Song. Well, we know one is Thor Ragnarok. Correct. Because it was the biggest deal when that played in the trailer. Yeah. Everyone lost their minds. Yeah. I don't know the other one, though. School of Rock. I've never seen School of Rock. What? I you have never seen School of Rock. No. I'm just now realizing that. that I would probably know There that. is a great Stevie Nicks section. Okay. Well, that's our next movie night after okay. we watch. We're watching Mean Girls tonight because it's October 3rd. I mean, you have to. Uh, but we'll watch School of Rock next time. Okay. It's a great movie. But supposedly, the reason why they were able to get licensing, because I'm trying to remember how it went on the Wikipedia page. They <laughs> School of Rock, like Jack Black got a bunch of fans. And they all like recorded videos asking Jimmy Page if they Aww. could use the song and they got permission. Uh, completely unrelated side note. Did you see that Jack Black and Jack White made a band called Jack Gray? <laughs> no! <laughs> Don't do that to my art. No, they did. It's a thing. It, when? It when was did like this start? Two or three weeks ago. I think we just made Stop. one song, but that happened. <laughs> Stop. I can't wait. I was going to tell you about uh, work the other day, but it was like, in, I don't forget why I did That's literally what I'm going to do after everything, after this episode's done recording, after we've done watch Mean Girls. I'm listening to that. That's amazing. There's your fun fact for the day. So now we're in the 1970s and Led Zeppelin is one of the biggest bands in the world. But because of that, they're really changing their shows. To not be four hours. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, they're probably still four hours, but now they feature nice flamboyant outfits. A la Freddie Mercury? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they also throw in some lasers into their show. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. But also in typical Rock's fashion, they start destroying hotels, just like their friend Keith Moon. That makes sense. And one of the instances at one of these hotels, or same called the Riot House, was John Bunham. That's just asking to be trash. Yeah. Yeah. But John Bunham, the guitarist, not guitarist, drummer, rode a motorcycle through the first floor. Uh, I feel like I'm glad we don't do that anymore because you know that shit be all over the internet. First yeah. of all. People be getting canceled over that. But I feel like after Motley Crue, bands just rallied together to be like, let's not be assholes to those who give us shelter. <laughs> well, because we're millennials who are poor, we're like, please give us shelter. <laughs> then we get to November 8th, 1971. And Untitled Album 4, also known as Led Zeppelin 4. Because they don't give a shit released. about naming their albums. No. Not at all. It's all about the music, man. You still need to name your album. (laughs) (laughs) But it isn't official, but this is often regarded as one of the best Led Zeppelin albums, just solely based on the number of hits they had. For example, The Stairway to Heaven is on this. And a fun fact about that track, it never was released as a single, but it was the most requested song on American radio stations during the 1970s. Interesting. Yeah. They didn't really like their songs released as singles because they wanted people to experience the whole thing that goes back to what we were talking to blake about last episode is the album is an experience yeah especially their albums and i feel like you shouldn't i can see how they'd be mad to break off one piece of the experience but that song becomes an instant staple on their sets moving forward it's also the song that features the iconic Gibson double neck guitar that Jimmy Page plays because it has the capability of switching between acoustic and electric. Is there only one of those? Or was there only one of those? No, like there thing? was people who had them. Okay. It, it was known at the time as the coolest guitar in rock. Because no, no <laughs> one can play it? Oh, uh, well, you know. Only like four people it can play cool. that thing. It does look it's cool. It's heavy, but it looks cool. It does look cool. It also has Black Dog, which is named after the Black Lab. They used to hang around Healy Grange. That's a ghost dog. Probably a ghost dog. And also When the Levee Breaks is on this album. The Battle of Evermore is there too. But it's one of the best-selling albums of all time. Period. It has 37 million record sales. That's a lot. Yeah, it's insane. But now, for a second time, Leah. Because we lost the first one, because there's some spooky shit happening in here. We have arrived at conspiracy time. And if you ignored my first disclaimer, maybe you were curious. Maybe you wanted to see where this goes. This is... The train stops here before we enter Spookyville, folks. Abandon hope, all ye who enter. Please get off at Sunshine Valley, because... <laughs> Just go, go listen. listen. Go listen to a po- like we said before. Go listen to a podcast about My Little Pony. Don't do that. Go watch Sesame Street. Yeah, it's safe. You'll still see all your favorite rock stars, but it's suitable for three year olds. Yes. So, hit me. We're, we're here. We go. Conspiracy number one: the elephant in the room, 
the ghost in the room, if you will. Mm, don't say that. Per- oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to break the recording equipment again. Um, is Stairway to Heaven have satanic language when you reverse it? I don't know. Does it? So when you get to the part when I start talking about the hedge groves, um, the part apparently that section when you reverse it says <laughs> oh god I love this podcast <laughs> you hear do you need me to read this dramatically no I got okay, this okay. Should, we, should we I'm gonna go with the plan we're gonna put dramatic music under okay. this maybe scary music yeah Here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He will give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. What? And here's the thing. Here's the part that I can't connect the dots with. Because it sounds more like, oh, Satan's sad, he's not a cool dude. Yeah, that's not how religion works. Yeah. You don't insult the thing that yeah, you're you supposed to Yeah, you don't insult the thing you're supposed to worship. That's exactly it. So I kind of give him credit to that. Like, hey, yeah. like this actually, it, it really doesn't make that much sense. And it sounds no. more like a diss in context. Who is Who got stoned enough one night to play this thing backwards to figure out that this may be what it says? Well, first off, it's 80s pastors. So they're, okay, they're not getting stoned. Well, you don't know that. Okay, they're probably still getting stoned. Yeah. But, uh... But because this came out in 1971, this song. Okay. I believe. But (laughs) the whole religious... I've got to be careful I say this. The whole, like, talking about rock being the devil's music was really in 1980s. It was before then, as we will learn in our next episode... That's but, when they actually were doing like the reverse lyric thing was 1980s. Wait, what year is this? This is 1971. This so is right after years. the Manson murders. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> those, those were 1969. <laughs> Why are you gonna drop shit like that? <laughs> oh, now I have goosebumps. Stop it! No, that was 1969. Was the Zodiac Killer and the Manson murders? This is this is prime satanic panic. That's what I mean by satanic panic. It was oh. the like the like murdery. But it still creeps me out. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was gonna get through this fine. You chose the ghost episode, okay? I'm sorry. I thought it was a good Halloween topic. I didn't think a satanic shit was gonna happen. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Before the episode turns off again. <laughs> but according to the band and I will say it is a weird coincidence when you when you go on YouTube and you listen to it and of course you know it's made in 2005 3-4 ratio frame so they play it and then they play it in reverse and when you're reading it with the lyrics you can hear it you can hear it but I feel like if you took away those lyrics you wouldn't really hear it as much it would just be gibberish yeah okay that's what I say it kind of feels like you're being fed it. But also, we need to keep in mind, Jimmy Page did not write the lyrics for this song. The main occultist dude in the band. It was Robert Plant. And Robert Plant, yes, he did have like some Nordic mythology kind of thing, but he wasn't really into the occult like okay. Jimmy Page was. 
So like Robert Plant actually says, who on earth would ever thought of doing that? <laughs> okay. And he says like, he said, you've got to have a lot of time on your hands to even consider that people would do that. I mean, he's not wrong. And I would give him credit because dude, they're touring and they're writing. They're not thinking about this unless they are stoned out of their minds one night and they're like you know it'd be funny <laughs> if we did this that's the only hey jimmy jimmy <laughs> conjure up something <laughs> that's the only reason that i can even pretend to think of like, yeah no one has time for that yeah so but i have so going back into the say Satanic Panic that you're talking about, which would be a great band name, by the way. It, I think it has to be a band name. Satanic Panic? Yes. No, Panic at the Disco, Satanic Panic, mashup. Anyway. <laughs> Satanic Panic at the Disco. <laughs> you get the exclamation point in there. I have this memory of being at church, church youth group, <laughs> and they brought us all into the sanctuary, which is the sanctuary built in the 1950s really cool like it had a lot of like wooden features to it but kind of that really like weird kind of 50s vibe you know when they're kind of going for that almost contemporary slick futuristic look yeah kind of had that going for it and i remember that they started playing an old 80s cassette over the overhead speakers so you just hear this really distorted voice talking to you about led zeppelin (laughs) And the wait is this anti Led Zeppelin propaganda? Yes, <laughs> and the '80s cassette would like say, "Now listen to the song in reverse and reverse it," and that <laughs> shit scared me because, in the sense, think about the scenario I am in. It is seven o'clock at night, probably on a Sunday or a Wednesday, <laughs> or a Wednesday, and I just got done playing dodgeball, and here I am <laughs> being brought into a church sanctuary. <laughs> being played this eerie eerie cassette tape with let like it sincerely freaks the hell out of me That's, as a kid we should try to find the audio no <laughs> i would probably have a triggered moment i don't want to go back to that memory so that's the story on that. So let's jump into conspiracy number two. Mm-hmm. Good God, we need to watch our audio because if it's going to get cut off, it's going to be at this moment. And we're still rolling. Okay. So I was always told for some reason, and I didn't really honestly know much about this until I got older, but I thought Robert Plant was the occultist in the group, but it was always Jimmy Page. I think he just gets blamed for it. Yeah, because he's the lead singer. Yeah. The dude just owns a football team in England. <laughs> He's trying to live his life. He just wants to drink beer in the pub. That's all he wants. But that's it. And But it's Jimmy Page <laughs> who is obsessed. And this will not be the last time you hear this name, folks, but with Aleister Crawley. Uh, do, you know, mm, do you know who that is? No, kind but, of? Oh, well, I know I know references, okay. but now things, things just click. You will hear his name probably at least two or three times with different artists. Yeah. Because he was a black magic kind of philosopher dude i think it was late 1800s early 1900s is what i want to spot it at but really known for the occultist movement a lot of i think satanism kind of connects back to him in a way because he has a philosophy of do what you want which is a very kind of satanist kind of viewpoint i'm not gonna get too much into it you're not a religion podcast (laughs) we're not but that's kind of what it is. 
Um, big occultist dude. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. So as the Rolling Stone magazine puts it, Jimmy Page was inspired by Crawley's personal liberation message. And he added Crawley's phrase, do what thou wilt, and inscribed it on the runoff groove of the original vinyl releases of Led Zeppelin Three. What? <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> We're going down Spookyville. Choo choo. <laughs> Here we go. Well, um, we're still recording. We're doing good. So he, in fact, for a little bit of time, owns an occult bookshop. Jimmy Page did in London. I would visit that. It, but it didn't last long because I think he didn't renew his lease. Anyway. <laughs> He also was known for having astrology symbols and his Sozo symbol sewn into his clothing. There it is. Now, here we go. I've been actually dreading to talk about this part because I know it's going to freak me out the minute I say it. But like I said, we're kind of journalists, Leah, so we got to just report the news. Got to report the news. He also purchases Crowley's old house. In Loch Ness, Scotland. That's which, let's just start with the fact that Crawley's <laughs> house is located near Lake Loch Ness. It's haunted. 100%. Why? But he purchases a house. And in 1971, it's reported that it's haunted. Yeah. Gee, surprise. And I'm just going to read this excerpt. Because this is from Rolling Stones. So it's later claimed that it's haunted. But not necessarily. This is what Jimmy Page says. Not necessarily because of Crawley. <laughs> Wait, there are other ghosts just hanging out here? Well, here's the thing. So he says, Paige says, there were two or three owners before Crawley that moved into it. He also says in 1975 later, it was, uh, I don't even know if I want to read this part. Read it. I'll read it. If we need to cut it, we'll cut it. It was also a church that burned to the ground with a congregation in it. Yep, that's haunted. <laughs> and strange things have happened in that house that oh, had nothing shit. to do with Crawley. Crawley has nothing to do with this, but this is why he moved here. This is up his lane. Yeah, like he's like Crawley. Crawley, he has he didn't do this. This is not thing. to mention he practiced black magic in the basement of the house. No, no he's no, no. not responsible for the ghosts. No. He says, but the bad vibes were already there. Yeah, a man was beheaded there, and sometimes you can hear his head rolling down. What the. Goosebumps. Goosebumps everywhere. It creeps me out. I'm sorry. I thought I could get through it. It creeps me you out. You know that I've listened to too many murder podcasts, and I'm really not even reacting <laughs> other than the fact that this is just insane. Thank you, my favorite murder. I'm just saying. It's weird. I don't like hearing his head rolling on the floor. That is... No. Disturbing. No. It's not preferred. But we made it through. We did. It's still rolling. We're still recording. So let's get on to conspiracy number three. Which, I feel like this is more of a tabloid thing and really isn't based on anything. But I'm just going to throw it in there. Okay. Because apparently this is a thing. It's called the Mud Shark Incident. This sounds very unrelated, but continue. Yes. So the story goes, they are in Seattle with members of a band called Vanilla Fudge. And as you can imagine, there's plenty of groupies. Why would there not be? Well... Rumor is, and I'm really sorry if this offends anyone, but... We've been talking about Satan this whole episode. Yeah. If you didn't turn off now. It's all fair game. If this is the one to break you, then. (laughs) I don't know what that says. Happy Um, 10th episode, guys. Yeah. But one of the groupies allowed the members of Led Zeppelin 
to use a mud shark for adult purposes. I'm not going to say any more past that. You can, if you choose, use your own imagination. I don't care. I'm not talking about it anymore because it's gross. Anyway, so there you go. I have no comment. <laughs> like I said, we're kind of like journalists. So this is our job to just report. That's that's that incident. Next, next talking point. So now we have some controversies with Led Zeppelin. But those other things weren't controversies. <laughs> no, those were conspiracies. <laughs> now we're in controversies. Okay. Um, but Jimmy Page had a relationship with quote a baby groupie, which. Happened for several years, but basically she was 13 or 14. No. Yeah. And it kept going on till their 20s. Ew. Yeah. It's so gross. Um, but it also is important to note that since the Me Too movement, a lot of people have been actually looking into this, being like, hey, yeah. that's not cool. That's statutory rape. Like, don't do that. Why were you doing that to begin with? I don't know. Controversy number two. And this is probably... The biggest one that's happening right now is there's a lot of questions as to whether Led Zeppelin stole music. So interesting. Potentially, the main songwriters Jimmy Page and Robert Plant took a lot of liberties with being inspired by other music, aka stealing. Yeah. I mean, I could see it from a blues standpoint because a lot of those chords kind of repeat. Yeah. But. It is possible that a good chunk of their songs, like the beats and notes, not necessarily the melody and the artist, but they kind of take the beats and notes and make it their own, which is theft. Yeah. This is where intellectual property law is weird. And it really wasn't a thing then in the yeah. 70s. Sure, lyrics and melodies are protected, but actual beats, like we ran into this with Katy Perry recently, mm-hmm. where a rapper of some sort claims that she stole his beat. Yeah. And... The court sided with him. Anyway. But the biggest song that is taking a hit from this is actually Stairway to Heaven. Interesting. And there was a band called Spirit a couple years prior to Led Zeppelin and a song called Taurus. And if you listen to the song, which I did, I went and I listened to the intro of it. Yikes. (laughs) Sounds just like Stairway to Heaven. Yikes. It is not looking good for Led Zeppelin. Whoops. It is so similar. Like, basically, it goes... Like, instead of going... It's literally that Led Zeppelin just added the... And it's like, literally everything the same. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So, they're actually still in court, I believe. That's a lot of royalties. Yeah. There's a chance Robert Plant and Jimmy Page are going to lose millions yeah. of dollars in damages. They sold 37 million records or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. Millions. Yikes. We're coming to the end of the podcast. Like I said, we had to skip some of this because uh, we're already at an hour. So we got to move up. Extra we long episode. Happy tent. Moving into the late 70s where we're getting to the end of the band's existence. There's a couple tragedies that kind of seal in the fate of Led Zeppelin. The first one which happened in 1977, was Robert Plant's five-year-old son died from a kind of like stomach viral thing. But his kid passes away, and they actually write the song All My Love. And then in 1980, the drummer John Bunham is going to breakfast. He's full alcoholic at this time, and he downs four quadruple vodka shots. 
So it's 16 shots. Yeah. Holy shit. And he's found dead the next day. That's way too many shots. Yeah, he had like the equivalent of 40 shots in the system. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that'll kill you. That will that will do it. But the band is so overcome with grief that they felt as though they would never be the same band again. Valid assumption. And at the end of that year, they released a statement announcing that they're breaking up. That they just don't feel like they're the same band without John. So they close up shop. Now, post-breakup, there's a couple side projects that happen in reunions. They come out with a kind of mini album called Coda, which is in tribute in honor of John. Okay. Kind of playing off Coda and that phrasing. But it consists of previously unused songs from different albums. So he's still there. Yeah. Robert Plant, who just can't get enough of this life, forms a band called The Honey Drippers. I don't like that name. It's like going from Yardbirds, which is like a very time name. Like you would just see that name in that time to Led Zeppelin, this iconic, you know, name. And then the Honey Drivers. Which sounds like a tribute band of somebody. Yeah. And that was formed by Robert Plant. Also, Jimmy Page got in the action and Jeff Beck. But they only released one EP and that's it. And then Robert Plant kind of jumps to different bands. He kind of rejoined Band of Joy. He kind of just jumps around. Mm-hmm. They reunite for Live Aid, and Phil Collins and another guy, Tony Thompson, actually sub in for drums. Interesting. Which is really cool. The band also has a couple other reunions, one in 1988, 95, and 2007. And they actually had John Bonham's son Aww. sub in, who's Aww. also a drummer. That's Isn't that nice? Sweet. There also is a Robert Plant and Alison Krauss mashup. Wait, what? Yeah. So if you don't know who Alison Krauss is, she is a bluegrass singer-songwriter. She's amazing. My in-laws absolutely love... Yeah, she's incredible. My in-laws are like super fans of Alison Krauss, and they say the album's all right. <laughs> like, they don't really like it that I'm much. I'm going to go listen to this tomorrow because I need to hear this. Yeah, like, you think it'd be great. Yeah. But I guess, like, the album's okay. Um, it's two very different people to yeah, match together. Very different voices, if, too. But if Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart can work. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Who are we to judge? We can make this work. But many proclaim that even though Led Zeppelin was the founding fathers of heavy metal, they're technically not a heavy metal band because they had too many acoustic songs mm-hmm. to be heavy metal. I can see that. But regardless, these guys were so instrumental in bringing blues back in well the blues is always kind of there but really bringing a new aggressive take on it mm-hmm. which formed the way to heavy metal mm-hmm. like you're gonna see heavy metal and you will once you kind of know the history of how blues is integrated you will just look at heavy metal and be like that's literally just blues that's gone crazy mm-hmm. it's just pure chaos and blues <laughs> and, but it's blues on drugs it's blues on drugs literally but that's they're the start to the heavy metal scene. That's all I got. A lot. It was a ton. That was a long episode. And it was uh, extra spooky. It was extra spooky. Don't don't shut that. Oh, yeah. I need that. But Sorry. tell us what you're drinking while I get well, the outro. I started with a beer from Ithaca Brewing Company called Flower Power. But they didn't... I don't mean to call you guys out, but you didn't put what the beer actually was. So I bought it on Faith. And my faith proved me wrong because it was an IPA. And I just don't like IPAs. They're not my favorite. But 
the wrapping was really pretty. It was really pretty. It was gorgeous. So now I'm drinking some Angry Orchard that my mother brought back for me from Walden, New York, where we are actually, we're from the town right next to it. So it's really fun. But yeah, that's what I'm drinking. So thanks for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. We'll read it next time. Maybe not this actual next time, but some future next time. Uh, special thanks to Josh Charpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page Photography for our cover art. Shout out to Blake, who you guys have now met from Backline and Speaker Tree. Uh, be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. We're also now on Twitter, so come join the conversation. Listen to me tweet as the podcast out into cyberspace. That is at She Will Rock, the letter U, pod. Character limit hurt us a little bit there. Uh, you can follow us personally on Instagram at Beth Ann Tarpley and at Leah Elizabeth. J. And as always, remember don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Oh, it's just not recording, Leah. Okay, there it is. What the f- it just stopped. <laughs> okay. Um, apparently, when you start talking about occultic shit, your recording <laughs> stuff apparently. Stops working, so. Can you turn on that light over there? Now I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm petrified. You can here. We'll throw this in at the end, like after the credits. So I don't know. I don't know where we just lost recording, but we were in the middle of talking about the occultic stuff, and. We're sitting here in the dark because it's been getting dark around us and the recording equipment just stopped working for no reason. So if Guys, you never hear from us again, we died. <laughs> I'm going to have to reframe this. <laughs> like at first I was like, oh, this is stupid. Ha ha ha. And then all of a sudden my recording equipment stops. If I play back my freaking track and it's like weird noises, we're quitting the podcast. What if the ghost noise comes back? Oh no. So this is totally a side tangent that's going to be after the credits, but uh, let lo- lo- couple episodes ago i think it was the kansas episode we were talking about freddie mercury yes. and this ghost noise just came out of nowhere it was not it did not happen in this room it really didn't guys and i'm telling you leah if that happens we're quitting the podcast no nope. i'm not picking we're gonna talk about nice artists we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about justin bieber no nope. we're gonna talk about taylor swift because i'm not we just talked about having an episode where we get a Ouija board and talk to, <laughs> talk to ghosts. No, no, no. Rocker ghosts. Okay. The rock star ghosts. Gonna, I don't want to talk to the other ghosts. We're going to talk to Buddy Holly. He that's, seems nice. That's exactly it. All right. Where did we leave off?